Good morning. God is faithful because I'm here (laughs) and I have good news. Not only do I have good news from Chile, but I was just at a conference with all of the international college ministry teams that work alongside of me from 10 different countries. And I can confidently say that God is alive and making his love known to people all around the world. And just because of that, I'd like us all to stand up and give a round of applause to God. You can all be seated. (laughs) I must say I don't have the authority to make you stop praising God, but thank you for your respect. I truly do thank God that I'm here. Um, I'm here after what I'll call my first year, technically nine months, of missionary life in Viña del Mar, Chile. And I'm really joyful that I'm able to share what God has done in my life and in the ministry of El Oasis. Now, I realize there's some people here who do not know who I am or what I'm doing in Chile, and so I'd like to get us all on the same page. I've grown up in this church, in big church, in what was kids' zone in the Dodd. I graduated from Georgia Tech, go Jackets, um, with a degree in biology, and along the way, I changed to a different route and got involved in a campus ministry and found that God planted a seed that sprouted quite strongly. And now I'm serving in a ministry called Global Scope, which plants college campus ministries all around the world. So I work as a team member on one of those Global Scope campus ministries in Viña del Mar, Chile, and it's called El Oasis Viña. So when I refer to El Oasis, that refers to the group of people that are this college community in Viña del Mar, Chile. El Oasis has a mission statement, and I'd like to share it because I think it's rather good. Um, The statement is that we are to create a dynamic and sustainable community that searches for college students far from faith so that they can experience Jesus. The last time I was speaking here was in March of 2021, and I shared a bit about my calling and the hope that God had given me. And if you have any questions or curiosities about anything I mentioned this morning, please come talk to me afterwards or send me an email because I can't include all of that this morning. Now today, I'd like to share stories of God's faithfulness. And I'd like to do that through my attempt at a divine glimpse of the Eloasis community and my life over the past several months. So I've been living in Viña del Mar, Chile for nine months, and that means I've learned a lot of things. (laughs) One of those things that I've learned are words, just words, phrases, different things, and things I never thought would be useful. For instance, there's this phrase in Chile that is literally, let's do pumpkin. And that means, okay, it's been a fun night. Let's all go home. We're tired. So we do pumpkin. I don't get it. (laughs) But that's an important phrase. There's no pumpkin involved, okay? (laughs) Other important words that I have clarified are that calzones refer to underwear. Calzas refer to leggings. 
and calzones rotos is a delicious funnel cake-like pastry. All different things. I've also realized the vocabulary that I've lacked. Like, how do I explain to somebody that I just want them to use a tiny screwdriver to, to tighten my glasses? Or how do I explain what's actually wrong with my bike because all I know is the word for tire and I don't even know what part that refers to. And also unfortunate events like navigating getting stitches in the emergency room. We're good, we're good. But I've also learned really fun things along the way. Um, Chileans love parties. They have lots of fun games. They have fun music and fun dances. Um, the national dance of Chile is called Cueca, and it's a partner dance that's typically done um, at weddings and, and big festivities. And it involves a man and a woman dancing, but supposedly they're mimicking roosters. And apparently that's something very common in Latin American cultures. But I will say I haven't practiced that one enough to perform it for you all this morning, but perhaps in a few years we'll get there. I've also learned about myself. Um, I was honestly surprised about what I have found to be the most difficult thing, hosting people, because that's a strength of mine, I would say. But I learned that my love for hosting people is quickly drained when I realize I'm supposed to fit 15 college students in a room the size of my freshman college dorm, perhaps smaller. Suddenly, I dread it, I fear getting COVID or that there's not going to be enough food or that somebody's going to knock over the plants. But the good news is that God has faithfully provided me with a team of people with many different strengths and weaknesses that I can lean on in those moments of feeling very overwhelmed and weak. God has also faithfully given me a church home in Vina um, at a church called Union Church. Um, and one day I was having coffee with the pastor um, when I asked him what became a very important question. I asked him, what are some of the key or maybe shocking or countercultural aspects of the gospel that you highlight when you preach to Chilean people? And one of his answers was that many, many Chileans have broken or painful or non-existent relationships with their dads. And so when they hear the gospel word that the God of the universe loves them like a father, they can feel very overwhelmed. They can absolutely reject that and run. But it's absolutely what their soul has always been searching for. And hearing that created this compassionate curiosity in me. So when we had discussion groups in the Eloasis ministry on family situations, I tuned in a compassionate ear and realized that almost all, all of the students at Eloasis have very bad or non-existent relationships with their dads. That means that I've spent a lot of time thinking about God as father and how to communicate his love and so this morning, I would like to share the parable of the loving father, more commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son, to be able to frame my experiences from these past nine months. Now, in Eloasis, we, have, we share a Bible story every Thursday night at our weekly event, which takes place on the top floor of a bar around several tables filled with 20-something students. And... 
many of those students, well, those students are made up of some Catholics, some Protestants, some Satanists, some atheists, and some who are totally unsure of what they believe. (laughs) So what does sharing a story of the Bible look like in that context? Well, it looks like about 10 minutes, because that's the amount of attention you've typically got. And two stories. The first one is a personal story from the life of the team member who is sharing the talk that night. And the second one is a Bible story told in a very similar fashion. This past semester, my teammate Koke actually gave a talk on the parable of the loving father. And so I translated his version to English, and I would like to share it with y'all today. So these are his words in English. This is the story of a father and his two sons. The youngest brother we'll call Peter, and the oldest, Johnny. Peter comes off as being pretty unhappy with the life that he had in the house of his father. And one day, Peter asked his dad to give him his part of the inheritance. And while today, maybe that's not a big deal, it's some allowance or something, in those days, asking for his part of the inheritance was like telling his dad, It no longer matters to me if you're dead or alive. I just want the money. So it was a pretty strong request. But this dad, instead of putting his son in his right place with a firm word or otherwise harsher punishment, chose to give his youngest son, Peter, exactly what he asked for. And so Peter left the house, left the town, and headed to a faraway city where he spent all of his newly earned riches having a good time going to parties, buying new luxuries, and many, many more things that you may imagine are included in living the life and enjoying all of its pleasures. Until one day, when he realized that he'd spent all of his money. He didn't even have a dollar left. And this is the part of the story where it gets intense, because Pete, in his pleasurable life of luxuries, now finds himself in a crisis. Things were rough, to say the least. The friends he'd made had abandoned him when they saw that he wasn't this rich guy anymore. He got evicted, and he didn't even have money to eat. So, when Peter, went, so Peter went looking for some way to pay the bills, but found nothing. Found himself lonely like never before and desperate. In that lonely place, He saw some dogs on the street eating better than he was, and that made him think about the servants in his father's house. And with that, he shamefully but desperately decided he was better off returning to his father's home to attempt to apologize, to admit how bad he had acted, to admit that he knew he didn't deserve to be a son, and beg for at least a slave position. I imagine that as he walked closer to his house, he was running over the words in his head, contemplating the words that might convince his father to forgive him and fearing the words his father might say back. But now we get to the interesting part of the story because over the years, though Peter didn't know it, the dad had sat outside of his home every day, looking at the horizon, hoping that his son would one day come over those hills and come back. So we read in the story 
that when the father saw that slightest sight of Peter coming over the horizon, he stood up and ran immediately. Now parentheses here. For a grown man to run in those times was something very shameful and improper. (laughs) But clearly this dad did not care what other people thought. He ran to his son with love, not shame, and gave him a big old bear hug. And he didn't let go. (laughs) Of course, Peter now started into his speech, begging for forgiveness. But before he could even get the words out, the father yelled to his workers, Quick, bring the best clothes and the jewelry so that everyone can know that my son has returned. And I have forgiven him. And we're going to have a tremendous party to celebrate. The biggest barbecue we've ever had. (laughs) And that's where we ended the parable for our Thursday night talk in Eloasis. With a clear message of how the father is that he waits eagerly for this lost son and throws great parties, which is the key to a Chilean's heart. (laughs) But as you might be familiar, the story goes on, and I'd like to read the second part here because that's where I feel I can most add on how God has surprised me and really showed up these past few months. So the last part says, Meanwhile, the older son, Johnny, was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And the servant said, your father has come. And your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, after all these years, I've been slaving away for you and never disobeyed your orders. But when this son of yours who squandered everything on prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So in this part two, we hear from a new character, the servant, and we realize the father leave his house once again in search of his son. Only this time, it's the older son, the obedient workaholic. And the older son also rejects his father's presence. So in El Oasis, during these Thursday nights, we leave the the students with the story and they have a conversation time so that they can come to their own conclusions and hear the beliefs of their peers. But I'm going to share with y'all a bit of my conclusions of late. But that being said, I invite you to hear what I say, hear the parable, hear my reflections, but also I encourage you to let God bring the teaching that you need to hear into your life. And with that, I would like to pray. Oh, Lord God, you're so good, and you are this Father. Um, Help us now to hear your truths in our lives. Um, Thank you for the, the stories you've given me. And please come and dwell in us. Amen. So for me, for most of my life, 
when I've had my head set straight. I've heard this parable and ended with the impression that I shouldn't act like either of the brothers, obviously. But I can't really achieve the level of the father. So I, I ought to settle for the attitude of the servant, right? Stay obedient to the father, join in the father's celebrations, all good. However, I've realized recently that when I receive this parable with the teaching for how to live my life right, I miss the opportunity to dwell in the heart of who the Father is. So this is my personal adventure of attempting to bring the perspective of the loving Father into these past nine months. In October, I met somebody I'll call Bianca, who, very, very similarly to the oldest brother, is a very good person. Good grades, service activities, takes care of animals. But she refuses to go to the party. Now, the second time I saw Bianca, she began asking me many questions about God, and I would summarize those questions as curiosities about God's decision-making process and God's values. Now, these curiosities and conversations really cultivated strength in our relationship. And I celebrate her trust in me that she was able to share about the emotional abuse she's experienced and also her biggest dreams and desires for her life, to have a perfect body, the highest grades, and the wealthiest future. But I've also spent many moments frustrated by her refusal to imagine a love to the degree of the father in this story in her life. (laughs) Thank goodness it's been evident that God's spirit has been very present with me and with my teammates in those conversations because it's an overwhelming peace and patience to listen and be present with her and trust that she is on her own journey. And I see that the father does that. Right? He leaves the party to go meet with her, to answer her questions, to walk with her, even while he hears the music playing in the background. And so it is with great anticipation and hope and the lens of this loving father that I say that she's getting closer to entering the party. I've seen her capacity for loving animals, which is the biggest I've seen of any human in the entire earth. Now, start leaking into her capacity to love other people and receive love, which I see in our friendship and in her participation in the Eloasius community. It's good news. Another girl. In January and February, I spent a lot of time with a girl we'll call Reina. She'd come over for lunch, and she'd typically show up a few hours late. Um, She'd typically request we cook a really elaborate or expensive meal and dessert. She'd talk on and on and on and on about her life. All of it, great, the ups and downs, the fears, her beliefs. And then she'd leave. And she'd stop responding to my messages and calls until she heard of the next opportunity for free food. So then, when our Eloasis events became more of group activities and less free meals as the community grew, Reina stopped coming. 
And I don't want to hide that I've been frustrated with her. But also, I've been trying my best to choose to wear the loving father lens. To stand outside the house and wait for her to come home. (laughs) Which, what does that look like? Well, it looks like first ranting to somebody. And then praying to God to soften my heart. And give me hope to check my messages and send her more. And trust that God is working and waiting for her. And so I will too. And then there's me. (laughs) In June, I celebrated my 24th birthday in Chile and was overwhelmed by the outpouring of love that I experienced from my team, from new friends that I didn't know nine months before and had no reason to take on this important responsibility of celebrating me, but they did. And I noticed in me a little bit of a sense of guilt and pride thinking, but I came here to share God's love, and yet here I am receiving way more than I've given. Okay, but let's put the loving father lens on, and now I see that that was me leaving the party to put on my work clothes and go work in the field. The lesson I learned, God's love is unlimited. So my receiving it does not make it any less available for others. I have another moment that I want to share of of God coming outside the party to meet me. Or maybe in the party, I'm not sure. But there was one day that I went to my church on a Sunday morning. And um, we had a really great prayer time. And a woman put her hand on my shoulder. And all of a sudden, the weight of a human hand... And her praying over me felt like this overwhelming realization that the last time that I'd had somebody like give me, give me a loving touch, whether that was a pat on the back, but primarily a hug, was like in October before I left. This was in January or February. And I was sad. It's like, all I want is a hug. And because of the way the pandemic is in Chile right now, it's very uncommon that that somebody who's not your family will give you a hug. But I stood, I stood in worship and I I cried as I sang because it was this weird mixture of this person prayed for me and I had this beautiful loving touch, but it made me want more. And all I could think was, God, I just want a hug. Like, who should I ask for a hug? And when we finished the song, this woman came up and tapped me on the back and said, "Um, hi, God sent me to give you a hug. So, yeah, um, that's really cool. So another moment of honesty. Um, I had a very different end to this talk written yesterday morning. But I'm still new to discerning how to communicate exactly what God has placed in my heart and mind. And when I finished writing that, which I wanted to share some stories of the party scene moments in Chile and how we'd witness people be servants and all of my gratitude for those people. I did not feel at peace about it at all. So I deleted all of that and resorted to Google and typed in Google, servants in the parable of the prodigal son, because that's what my mind was stuck on. Who are these servants and where are they in our lives? And I found a really great 
seminary grad, a Christian blogger named David Thatton, who wrote about the servants in the parable. So I'd like to share that. He wrote, the servants are the careful observers of the scene. They see the father release his dignity, run to the son, embrace him, and give him the best he had to offer. They had also seen the way his son left. His greed, his entitlement, his selfish desire was fully on display. And they had seen the father take half of everything he had worked for in his entire life and give it to him early. It was obvious that he had squandered every last penny. And yet, they saw again on full display the way that the father embraced his son without reservation. They set the table for the celebration. The servants gathered the red robe and the jewelry. They sang the songs and rejoiced with them. They ate the feast. And on full display for their eyes to see was the father's love for his son. And it made them sense a bit more why he treated them so well and took care of them even beyond what was necessary. That's simply how the father is. And to be a servant in the father's house was a precious thing. After all, this is what the prodigal son had hoped for upon his return, and it would have been enough. And in reading that, I realized that what has most changed in my mindset since I was last here is that I had hoped to be a servant in the father's house, and it would have been enough. I happily would have witnessed all of those moments of students who were giving the party a second chance and dancing. I would have joined in the feast and enjoyed it. I would have enjoyed those moments of seeing God's love on display, the campfire on our retreat, the hugs of students who are now friends, the goodness of God despite the greed of humanity. But the Father is not in business of hiring servants. No matter how great the job description is, but rather he is actively working to go outside of his house, to seek his children, to speak truth, to give hugs, and to bring them to the party. And I have gotten to be a child of God, not just a servant, this past few nine months. And I'm going to keep choosing that because it's pretty good. And so I want to leave us, not just you, but me as well, with two questions. One, are you at the party or are you somewhere outside? Me, right now, today, I'm at the party. Hence the applause for God, the eagerness to say hallelujah and thank you, and forgetting to witness and celebrate love on display. Tomorrow, well, I'll have to ask myself again. And two, what do you need to hear from God to attend this party as his child and not his servant? I need to hear, come dance. Leave the responsibilities behind. Take a break and dance for a while. Thank you for listening this morning. Thank you for reflecting. I hope that you can also join the party and be a child of God. So let us pray. Father, thank you 
for your perfect timing. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you for the number of times that you step outside of your house to answer our questions, to speak truth, to give us hugs. Please help us be open to you. Help us feel the call when we've gone far from the party. And help us receive your love as much as you offer it. Amen. Well. Wow.